Hey, Adam here from the C-Lab Podcast. Are you finding this show valuable? We really hope you are. And if you are, think about how you found us in the first place. We would really appreciate your help getting the word out about our show and helping us fulfill the mission to find the others in customer education. There are two ways you can do that. One is leaving us a great five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That really helps us get the word out and the algorithms love it. Uh, The other way is to write a post on LinkedIn, Twitter, or your social network of choice talking about the C-Lab podcast and how it's helped you. Those two things would really help others discover the podcast and get the same value out of it that we really hope you're getting too. All right, on to the show. Welcome to C-Lab, the customer education laboratory where we explore how to build customer education programs, experiment with new approaches, and exterminate, let me get a Doctor Who thing, exterminate the myths and bad advice that stop growth dead in its track. I am Dave Darrington, and today we are joined by Christine, Christy Hollingshead. Go ahead and introduce yourself. I, I, I see that your role may be actually changing a little bit. Yeah, uh, I am the Senior Director of Customer Education at HEAP. Um, as of today, that is our online programs, our instructor-led learning, uh, but recently, uh, just as of yesterday, I'm excited to also be taking on our scaled programs. Um, really, how do we market to our customers? How do we use other tactics besides courses and live training to educate our users? So really excited yeah. about that. I'm really excited about that. And that's, I, I think that's a really good edge to pursue here. Now, now you've been working and building a program. Um, now you're kind of bubbling up a little bit more to, to look at the bigger picture and see how this all integrates together. So we've got a lot of good stuff to talk about. Let me frame this up, Christy, and to our audience. If if you are out there thinking about, oh my gosh, how do I go back? How do I report? How do I build dashboards? How do I see the North Star and, and be able to guide myself to that? You know, it's one thing for us to say that we lead with data. You know, I'll put those in air quotes. It's another thing entirely to get to that where you're constructing something that you have in front of you and you can share and and really helps you out. So that's what we're going to talk about today. And as always, before we get into that, I always like to have a little bit of fun. Um, this is our uh, national day of, and today is Celebrate Your Unique Talent Day. I thought this was totally appropriate because we have Christy on and her unique talent is leading with data. Cool. Anything else you, you want to say before we get rolling, Christy? Uh, no, really excited to chat about data and metrics. I know this is something that um, I have struggled with in most of my customer education <laughs> career up until now. Um, and I think I'm starting to figure it out. I, I don't have all the answers, but I, I found some success and excited to share what I found. That is fabulous. And and that's a, important because in customer education, we're, it, this is a new thing. It, and it's new because it's emerged from customer success. And it's also taken those of us who have gravitated because we love education from other fields, L&D, you know, enablement, training, and, and we're all here now. And now we're going, well, we're in a different universe. We're in the SaaS world. And in SaaS, the most important thing is to be able to see the impact. We're, we're kind of like scientists, right? We want to see where we're going. And I could say, oh, I have more people coming into my program this month. And what happened? What did I do to make that change? What can I do to make that better? So. Um, how do we do that is the big question on my mind. And I know, and you know, after we've built several programs, this is super hard. This is this, this is one of the hardest things ever. It's not just, I'm not just building content. Now I'm going, how does that content actually work? So we also know that this isn't your first priority, right? For a company. Most companies are like, okay, we'll get to that. I've been in that boat. So let's go ahead and start unpacking this. And you know, I'm, I'm going to try for a hypothesis. This is a god awful hypothesis, but you know, I want to say this: anybody, any customer education professional, can easily, maybe not so easily, work with the data that they have about their program, and they can get to building reports and information that will help. So, how's that for a start? I think that's a great one, and I I, I buy in. I, I buy in hypothesis too. <laughs> All right. So I want to believe let's go for it. So, so let's, uh, you've talked to us a little bit about your role. Um, Christy, what, I, what I'd like to do is, is give you the, the, the forum here and tell us a little bit more about how you got to heap. How, how did you step into this role and what really gets you excited about doing what you do? 
Yeah. Um, I, I guess I'll go back to the beginning. Um, where I was in, (laughs) I was in grad school. Um, and I thought I wanted to be a professor actually. Um, I I was getting my master's in communications. Um, and I I think what I quickly realized in grad school was, you know, I, I realized that that world was the publisher parish mentality. And I actually hated writing papers. It didn't really like the research. The part of that job that I really liked was teaching, Um, and, and being in that classroom. And so with that realization, you know, decided to step out of the academic world, um, and head over to tech, uh, where I landed at Microsoft, um, doing education and actually a variety of different roles there, um, in sort of a rotation program that they had. And I was, you know, lucky enough that again, it became really quick or really obvious through those rotations that, um, like education was the thing that I liked. So started doing training for them. Um, and you know, after a couple years of that transitioned into a startup, uh, a company called walk me, um, mm-hmm. on Very their well. education team there to lead their partner education programs, which was really exciting. And that was a huge transition, right. Coming from a company like Microsoft that has every resource in the world, um, to joining a pretty small startup at this time. I think it was 70th employee, um, wow. joining there. So it was really, Hey, build this program from scratch, right? We don't have a ton of resources. There isn't everything that you need. You got to sort of build the plane while flying the plane. Um, yep. spent some time there, I, I think doing some pretty good work. And that actually landed me at my current company heap, um, where I was tapped to lead the entire customer education program. That's exciting. And so I like, I I really, I really like your story because I I feel many people I talk to myself included have had that kind of journey where we discover there's a part of us that loves to teach and we follow this journey. I mean, I've been to big companies and small companies too, but I think that's the fabric of what makes you, you know, unique and makes us unique in this field because we we synthesize these things. You've been at Microsoft and it's big. And I like how you said all the resources in the world. So that means you've got support uh, and you came from education and you said you want to be a professor, which, you know, I, I know I found my inner teacher, but it's, it's the joy of talking to somebody and, and helping guide them to learning and you see it. Right. And it's like, you see the light bulb go on and then walk me is a really good story too, because that's, kind of an educated product, you know, it's really meant to help pull people through and understand the the platform and now heap. So that's where I think you really can unpack and talk to us about like, what got you, what got you really excited about starting to build this program out and what's unique about it? What, what's unique about working with data? Yeah. Um, I, I think, you know, I alluded to this a little bit earlier, but mm-hmm. My entire career in education, I think I've had the questions like basically every peer that I I talk with in customer education, everyone wants to understand the impact that you're making. Your bosses are constantly pressuring you to, to prove ROI. But I think the challenge is that you don't have the resources. And like you mentioned earlier, um, even if you have the data and you have a data team, customer education is not on the top of their priority list. So there's just this frustration of like, I want the data. I want to be able to answer these questions, but, you know, feeling stuck, like you don't have the resources to do so. Um, And, you know, I I think of myself, I I really try to have this growth mindset, right? And not get stuck um, in the limitations that sort of I feel like there are. So thinking, how can I find a way around this? How can I get the data that I need? And how can I get insights from what I do have? Maybe I don't have every piece of data that I want, and I don't know how to run the SQL query <laughs> answer the more complex questions, but what what can I do with what I have? And I think it really just started there. Um, even yeah. back at Walk Me doing some of this work. Yeah. So like what, that's a great place to start. So what are the kinds of things that you found that you did have to begin with, like maybe you had an LMS, maybe you didn't, maybe you had Wistia, maybe you had Google uh, a survey. What are the things that, so, so here you are at walk me at heap and you go, all right, what have I got? What have I, what am I going to do with it? 
Yeah, all of the above at different times um, on all of those platforms. But yeah, I mean, I, I think of metrics or, or data. There's sort of four different types of data. Um, and a lot of the ones that you should start with are the ones that you're mostly going to have access to are what I call like engagement data. So this okay. is exactly just how many people are taking your courses, how many people are showing up to your webinars, how many people right. are watching your Wistia video. Um, whatever it is, right? You should have some type of information just on usage. And I, I think that is a really great place to start. Once you have an LMS, most LMSs are at least going to provide you that basic information. Mm-hmm. But, what, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Um, so, but I wanted to, wanted to key in on something. So the things that you were talking about first were like, how many, how many, you know, like it seems like an aggregate at that first level where I don't know exactly who, you know, here's Jane, here's Judy, here's Joe, but I know, oh, I've got volume, right? And then I think what you're doing is saying, now we're getting into an LMS where it's more specific, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, And you also don't want to discount the qualitative data either. Oh boy. Well, like what? What do you, what do you mean qualitative? Um, so again, I think I know what so you the, mean, but <laughs> yeah, so it is that satisfaction data, right? So it's the Google form or the survey or the thumbs up in your webinar poll, mm-hmm. um, whatever it is. So as much as you want people to take your courses and your classes, it's also important that they are enjoying that, le- that experience for the learner. Um, and I think you know, a lot of people now, I think, kind of discount that data. Well, this doesn't actually tell me a whole lot of information, right? Mm -hmm. More recently, it's being referred to as vanity metrics. Right. And I do agree with that to a certain extent. Um, You know, when it comes to the ROI questions, there isn't a lot that you can prove by just having people take your content, right? Whether you know who they are or not. Um, But I still think there are some really good insights you can get like with that engagement data. Um, So first and foremost, you know, you do need people to take your content. And if they aren't, you need to really understand, well, what is it, right? Am I not building for the right audience? Is this a marketing problem? Mm -hmm. Um, What channels are people coming in from? Can I partner with my customer success team to be talking about these resources more, right? Um, So of course you want to start there, right? If your volume is low, (laughs) like what can you do to drive this? And and that data is going to tell you that first thing, right? So that is the first hurdle. I think when you're starting any program is like getting people, um, you know, build it and they don't always come. So yeah, if, what is it? I know I've heard Donna Weber say that before in some of, you know, she talks a lot about onboarding. It's if you build it, they won't come. And that's, that's kind of like a customer education mantra. That we have to we have to actually think about that first because I I, I I want to tell just a really brief story about this from my own perspective. A couple of times, I get so focused, Christy, when I'm building on building, and my entire world is, hey, what are we doing next? How are we doing this? Got problems? Like how do we launch? And then you go, oh my god, I forgot about marketing. Or and and that seems it seems like something that you shouldn't forget. But it is fundamentally important to lead with because if you're not talking with your marketing team or you're not thinking about social, you've missed one of the big hooks. And, and that's a natural, it's not even a mistake. It's just a natural thing that happens. We have to think about it going in, right? Yep. Yeah. And um, I think one of the things, uh, particularly having worked with product managers as my primary persona in <laughs> the last eight years that I, I've really come to adopt and realize, and you have too, is that having a hypothesis when you get data, w- when you get an insight is really important, um, right? And once you have that hypothesis, then it's super important to start testing um, on that hypothesis. So if those you know, that volume is low. Well, why? What do you think it is? Um, what right. change can you make uh, to try to drive those numbers? Is your hypothesis correct that it is a marketing problem? Is your um, hypothesis correct that people aren't taking your secondary courses because it's too low, you know, on the page in your LMS? Is it not discoverable? There, there are so many things that you can just do with that basic um, again, uh, engagement level data, just how many people are engaging with content. That I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate the hypothesis approach because you know I was a trained I was trained as a scientist. I went to school for too long, 
But the one thing that I got out of that was that like thinking about where, like we in SAS, we're natural scientists. I think this is a really weird, uh, kind of a bold contentious statement I make. I think we're scientists because number one, we're moving really fast. And number two, we just can't let things go. We've got to say, okay, I only have this data. I've got to make an experiment. The difference between science as you know, SAS science and science sciences, it's super fast. Yes. So you make a hypothesis and test it really quick. And if it works great, if it didn't, no, you're not going to do peer testing and stuff like that, but you are using the same fundamental thinking. And that's why, you know, you've, you've gone to school for, like you were talking about becoming a professor, you know, you obviously have that academic flair to you. And I think we all need to adopt this. So maybe, maybe we should dive in to unpack this a little bit more, Christy, that, okay, you've got data. We've got data. We've got some data. Now I'm sitting there. I'm scratching my head. I've got Excel up. I've got a database. I don't know, whatever tools. What are those first steps that I should be making? Like, are we looking at registrations, completions, attendance? You've already mentioned some of those, but what would be like a quick punch list of things that I should look at first? Yeah, um, I think you know, you, you nailed it right on the head. Registrations and completions um, are definitely things that you're going to want to look at. Um, I think also if you have the user level data, understanding sort of volume of courses or people coming in and taking a single course, or are they taking multiple courses? Um, but yeah, but you know, and you don't want to over index um, on one over the other. Completions, I think is the big one that gets people mm-hmm. is, you know, most of us and I don't have all the data, Um, but I think most of us find we get a lot more registrations than completions. Um, And that tends to panic sort of a lot of people. It's like, why aren't they completing the content? Um, Over the years, I've started to care less and less about completions. Um, You know, if they're dropping off right away, I I think that's a a very different problem. But if they're getting 80% Hmm. through the content um, and they're not finishing sort of the last few things, Oftentimes what I find is like, you know, they want to start applying and it's, you know, it's your quiz or your survey or your wrap up. Right. And people have so, (laughs) so little time. And I'll get into why I care less about this if you have data further down the pipe. Um, Mm -hmm. But I always just like to mention that because I I just hear a lot of people panic on their their low completion rates. Um, And at least my opinion (laughs) is that they're not as important as we've made them out to be. Thank you. Thank you for saying that because here's a here was a data point that I like to share. And and I'll be a little, you know, transparent and say I've had leaders come to me and go, what's our completion rate? Oh, that's kind of low. And that's and then the conversation stops. And then I feel backed in a corner, like, oh my God, you know, am I, I failing? But what you said there, Christy, was so important. It's that let's I can't put a picture on because this is an audio. But let's say you have a graph and you're looking at the X, Y, and at the X axis over here at the top, you have all the registrations, let's say a hundred registrations. And then if you would look, and I know I'll just use SkillJar as an example, because SkillJar had, if you go into the administrative backend and you start looking through the data, there are these, uh, I call them drop charts. Adam actually had some of these that he did in one of his platforms. I think you have something like this too, Mm -hmm. where you can see engagement go over time within a series of modules. And then I would always see a progression downward. And what you're saying to me is like the way we had them constructed at one point was there was a survey and a quiz and people would just not do it. And I always would try to bait them by using badges. So you do your quizzes, you get a badge that helped help bring the completion rate up. But what you're saying is important. If I got 80% through the fact that I have a volume of people getting that far is the most important. And it's not a, a binary. It's not one zero. There's yeah. a spectrum of engagement. So it's important. Yeah. Right? And and that data, again, will tell you so much. So I you touched on this earlier, but mm-hmm. so often I think we get caught up in building the next new thing and like what's next, what's next, especially when we're building a program that we aren't doing this evaluation and this measurement. But Again, coming from working with product managers, I have really adopted this strategy of iterating constantly. Um, And again, like most of us, you have your core curriculum, your core content, and that is where the volume and the bulk um, of your your learners are engaging with your platform. And if you aren't spending time, I think, constantly trying to improve that experience, you're missing out um, 
on some really positive impacts that you can have by focusing and continuing to iterate on the content that is successful um, and is going well. Right. So what? So so let's let's maybe paint an example of this. Um, I know one thing that I did is I had all of my content. My, I'm not going to say my. We had all of our content as a team in our LMS, and we had videos that were also hosted in the video platform. So you had two different data sources. And then what we do is every month or so is come back and look at, because we had it attached to Google Analytics, I know I knew exactly how many people in my system and in the LMS went and registered and completed. But I also know from Google how many people came in and how many unique page views there are. And then I can actually make a graph. This was, again, this is an idea that, that came from Adam that I adopted and used. So I could see from month to month the like where a course would be. I could see if it was dropping. I could see actually where it was on a chart. And I actually made a quadrant, you know, like a you know, a square. And if things were up and to the right, that means they're both uh, a high number of views and they and and the word was discoverability. They were discoverable and they were used. So if anything hit that high. I, there was a lot of page views and there were a lot of people actually registering and completing it. Then I knew that course I don't touch. It's fine. I just do updates. But if there's a course over here on the bottom left, meaning low page views and, and nobody could find it, I knew, okay, so I got to iterate. So now I could go back monthly and iterate, 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 because that's kind of a technique that that you would you would adopt. 100%. Yeah, we, we have a very similar... A visualization to that. We call it our engagement matrix. Um, and again, this Love is, it. you know, I just keep coming back to all of the things that align with product, right? This is the same thing product managers do to understand what features in their product are getting utilized um, by users. And it's very similar, right? If you think of your program like a product, um, what oh. courses, what content is successful, what's not. Um, and I actually think like, you know, the upper left quadrant is a really interesting one. So this mm-hmm. tends to be, hey, a small number of users are doing this, but they're getting really far. Um, and oftentimes I think those are the ones that are, are pretty easy to move to that upper right. If you can understand, you know, what, well, why is it the low number of users? Is it the discoverability here? Is it that it's for a small subset of my users and this is expected? Mm-hmm. Um, have I not made it clear like when and how, you know, you should engage with this content, but that, you know, again, just that like can tell you so much, um, about your, your content and, and what is sort of appealing to your learners and not. Yeah. Um, actually I was thinking of it, a really clear example that, that I had experienced or I had seen. So in that upper left quadrant, where you know, you know, low number, I guess, low number of visitors. It, it would be actually for me. I think it was the bottom the way I had it set up. Sure. So up in the upper right, you have really high page counts, but the lower page counts would be over here on the right and the bottom in my chat chart, and that correlated to admin users. So there were a smaller subset. So like, we had thousands and thousands or tens of thousands of end users and a small subset of admins. So that would make sense. And if I if I would paint that, I would just do different colors. And, and show that, or maybe separate that data entirely, because then you can move those pictures up when I'm talking to my executives and they don't question me on it, <laughs> which gets me to my next question, I think, is I, I'd like to really key in, I, I, before we get onto ROI and getting on, get on, like, how do I start working through all this stuff? The big question on my mind from what you were saying prior to our discussion and just now is this relationship of, with product management. And thinking about education as a product, which has taken me a long time to come to terms with, because in fact, I think education is part of your product. It, it's part of it. So what, what can you tell me about that? Yeah. I, I mean, I do think education is part of your, your product experience, but mm-hmm. when I'm talking about this tie-in, I think it's really about how you treat your own program within the org and how you run your function. Um, you know, like I said, if you're thinking through a typical um, product process, right, you're uncovering, hey, what is the pain that my user is feeling? What am I going to build to help solve that pain? Um, you're going to launch it. You're going to measure, you know, 
how successful are these metrics? But then a key part that product does that we've touched on a little bit already is iteration is part of that product development process um, on a good product team, um, just like it should be on a good education (laughs) team, right? Um, And I think having this mindset, again, is just so critical that like, it's not about just building and and being done. People, I think, even when you have the data, they'll they'll get an insight or see something interesting. But mm-hmm. even then, they rarely sort of act on it yeah. um, to go back and like, okay, well, what do I do with this now? Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I think it's about trying to find, well, where should I focus my efforts, right? Pareto principle. <laughs> um, yeah. Which is is really just where can I spend my time that's going to have the most amount of impact? Um and I think this is where, yeah, data becomes your best friend. So chances are, if you want to use that quadrant metric, again, your core curriculum for us, we have HEAP 101, right? That is skyrocketed up until the right. ton of people, everyone completes it because we've set sort of that primary assumption that, hey, everyone should take this, right? This is your starting place. This is your foundation. And so we're driving a, a ton of um, people there. We've iterated on it enough that uh-huh. it, it's pretty successful. Um, but now I think it's, you know, going through the rest of our content. So even if I'm just looking at, again, the highest level metrics of, well, what, what, what's my course that like, isn't getting any registrations, like what isn't, uh, getting used. And if you can start to make these hypotheses about why this is going to help you understand your learners so much more, if you can start to answer those questions, well, what is it about this course that is unappealing. Mm -hmm. Is it the wrong audience? Is the content bad, right? This is where you would maybe start to dig into sort of one of those drop-off reports. Like, are they dropping off right away? Because they're like, oh, this is not, you know, what I'm trying to do. Um, Or if you see something like, hey, they're making it like most of the way through the course, the people that find this, then I think it becomes about, is it not discoverable? Um, can my audience like not find this? So just there, right? It, it, you don't always need to be building new things. Utilize the content that you have and use that early data to inform you about what's working, what's not. And w- this is then going to inform what you do build in the future. Um, yeah. If you have a course that's performing poorly, you're not going to build a you know the 102 version of that or the follow-up. Okay, let me unpack a couple of things because I think what you're saying is gospel for us. Like this is the found this is like the foundations of a chapter I would write if I wrote a book on data in customer education and where to start or a book, you know? It's that we have stuff. Like I, I think one of the things I, I was talking with somebody one day who had a, a kind of a sense of panic around them. They're like, well, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to start. In and it's that it's kind of like that first blush you have after you start to build a program. And then you go, oh, well, how is it doing? And, and going back to what you'd said before, often you're, you're blinded by building. You focus on building and you get into that cadence. But here's the thing that came to me over a period of many years. And I, and I tap back into thinking about Agile and thinking about I, at one point in my life, I was fortunate to be uh, do some development work. So we did an agile, we did sprints, and this term of a retrospective came up. And which is, it's that moment where you know, if I if I would act act out of like, I take a breath. The team sits around a table in those days that we could do that, or now we're in virtual reality somewhere in a fake you know meta table. <laughs> um, but I don't think we do that enough. I know I didn't. Where I sat down and I and I had the team go through what worked. Let's look through all of our stuff. What we did start doing was a monthly maintenance meeting, and a maintenance meeting was where we kind of did that retrospective, um, and and to sit down and go, okay, here let's throw all our data out. Let's look at our our you know the um, the engagement map, the engagement model that you were talking about, and I've called the discoverability matrix, and go, okay, hey, I've got this one course that's standing out. It's 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 weird. Or the one course that we built that should be really performing has a low number of registrations, just like you're saying. So I think what you're what you're really getting us to is you will have a let's say let's make a list of all the core data, of all the core metrics we want to look at, registrations, completions. Um, let's have on deck more information. Like I can go into my LMS and see the drop-offs. Um, let's have on you know like 
I'm wanting to put in my fingertips just the basics and then dive in. And then every month or every a couple of weeks, I do a retro. And then I go back and say, okay, now I know I'm building new stuff, but I should go back and look at this one course. So you're letting, you're navigating, you're using your North Star be some of that data. And what you're saying is, even if we've got, haven't gone to the next step in our conversation that I want to take you, it just, what are the dashboards and stuff that I could automate, right? That's my dream. I'm always thinking about, can all this stuff just be there? Yeah. But you're saying, I've got the stuff, I could pull it up. It's not that hard, but I'm looking at, you know, um, registrations, completion rates. I can, I'd even do stuff like attach rate, like a, a simple calculation of all the contracts I have coming in, how many of those accounts have actually touched my education. So what do you think on that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think, you know, I can say this because I've made this mistake too many times of just get getting caught up in the build. I've built my one-year roadmap, right, of all the courses I'm going to build for my learners yeah, and not slowed down enough in that build process um, to evaluate if my plan is the right one and if I'm driving the results that I wanted to drive with, you know, this course roadmap that I that I outlined in the first place. Um, it's not super helpful to have <laughs> 20 courses um, if your learners aren't engaging with them, if they aren't finding value in them, and ultimately, if you aren't driving value for the business with that content. Um, but it's it's just so easy, I think, to get yeah. caught in that trap. And again, I, I've done it so many times. And then, you know, after that year, I've built those 20 courses, and then I go and look at the data, and I'm like, oh wow, like six of these courses have never been used. I spent a lot of time building those. Um, you know, yeah. and, and then had to make sort of changes then, uh, and really just scrapping that work. So I I've learned to sort of slow down to speed up. Oh, you're saying such good things, slowing down to speeding up. We're doing retrospectives and you know what, what struck my attention. Let's, let's get into talking about ROI mm -hmm. because I think where for me, um, you know, Adam has used this phrase in some of our lead-ins, which is a joke, but it's actually deadpan serious to me. It's this stone cold anxiety I have when I look into the eyes of my leader and they're asking, what am I going to do next? And that usually is this incentive or this push to build, 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 because I think that build trap, like let's, let's give you attribution for that. I love that. The build trap, the build trap is my leadership has an expectation that I'm going to be building content over and over and over. But in that is what you're saying to me and what I feel palpably is that it's not as much how much we have, it's more, what is that doing for us and how do we iterate? So we have like, like I'm thinking about this, we can make all kinds of education stuff, webinars, all that jazz, whatever, but the core of our program, that tight ball of this is, we've got everybody's mind, everybody's understanding about what our product does push down to a diamond and that it's, it's. It's something that to get to a diamond, we have to apply pressure. So it means we have to continue to iterate, 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 iterate. But that's, I know I've failed at it. We've all failed at it. And it's the slowing down to speeding up. I, that's they, These are little catchphrases, but they actually are meaningful in this context. That what, what I want to, if a leader is listening to this, and I know we have a lot of leaders do, that part of the challenge you should make to your team going in is that have you put in time to maintain and improve and to cut because we don't want garbage. Yeah. Right. So now, so let's get un unpack ROI. ROI is so, okay. I'm going to slow down. <laughs> I get really excited about this, Chris, if you couldn't tell it's this, this is at the spirit. This is the core of our, our, all of our program, the heart and the heart is my leader comes up. She, she came up to me one day and say, Dave, how do we get information about the ROI of this program to our leadership, to our board? And I have to tell you, this is the holy grail. What I dream of is that uh, I'll give you—I'll give you an example of the best thing I've ever seen. Uh, and this is—I'll shout out to my friends at Gainsight uh, because Gainsight, kind of like Heap, has a really great platform of data and analysis, and it made it really easy for me to actually tie in my education program, my LMS, straight into the platform and to produce uh, charts and graphs. I think that's very similar to what you could do. And very similar to the two other companies out there. Like imagine working for Tableau. Wow. Um, it's that now I want to take what I have in my LMS and I, and I have a data lake and I have a, um, a, a CRM and I like I have all this data 
And now I want to munge it together and say, hey, senior leadership, here's your dashboard. Here's my dashboard. This is all the other stuff. Like I'm talking reports and stuff that happen automatically. So I can go, it's hot. I'm not going to have to assemble it and work for two weeks to put together my data. So that's how I want to start for the rest of our conversation and really kind of talk to this leadership level. Yeah. I, I mean, the simplest place I can start is you need to be talking with those leaders and asking them, what are the outcomes we want to drive? Hmm. Um, right. First and foremost for the business. Um, and oftentimes the role of education is to assist with adoption um, of your product, right? It's to help learners get the most value um, from your tool. So really sort of hammering home that point. I mean, that often is uh, the first barrier is leaders aren't thinking about that. Um, you know, they're not really thinking about education and how it's helping support and drive those outcomes. Um, but start there, sort of ask them, okay, well, what are the outcomes that we want to drive? And then the second part of that is, and how are we going to measure those outcomes? Um, <laughs> now, this is where really close partnership with your product team uh-huh. can be really helpful. So whoever your, your product leader is, they should be having these same conversations with your executives, right? Well, what are we trying to do with the product? Um, how do they define an active user in the product? Um what are some of the key features that are correlated with user retention, right? Mm -hmm. Start to sort of have these conversations with them, ask them these questions, and then you want to align your programs to those behaviors um, as much as possible. So you want your learning objectives and outcomes within a course to match um, these behaviors, you know, that other parts of your organization are trying to drive. So... Okay, continue. Sorry. No, and and then I was going to say, yeah. And then once you've done that and you've built for that, then this is where it starts to get really exciting if you have access to behavioral data or product data and you can start to bring this engagement data um, in with the behavioral data and start to merge those and really paint a picture of how are my education programs actually driving this data, this behavior um, that we're seeing in product. And usually like once you can show that, like that is where the the light bulb goes off for these executives and, and your boss and, and their boss. So uh, I wanted to key in on a couple of things you said there it, in something that came to mind immediately as you're painting this picture of I'm going to talk with my executives. I think that would translate to, you know, my, my senior leadership and customer success support, professional services, sales, um, you know, uh, sales engineering, sales, et cetera. I mean, there's a lot of people. And um, one of the things that can happen is you get a blank look, like, especially when you say, how do we measure that? And especially early phase. Now, this isn't ob- obvious, always true, but what I'm trying to get to here is that I want for leaders to take a, 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 a beat and go, wait a minute now. So you're saying to me, Christy, that education affects adoption, retention, uh, revenue, um, overall product usage. And what does that look like? To me, what I've seen is, and again, Gainsight was a great example of this, where we had a lot of product usage data built into the platform. So I knew that um, user one, two, and three went to the website after I did a training and I could see that spike. And I could also see after a training, like, I love this curve. So you have a, have a line that's going across and that, I, so I went to Acme and I did a training engagement. And on that day, I saw hundred percent usage because everybody was there and then it goes down a little bit, but then what happens? So that was a, a live training. And then I get into my university and you see people kind of level off. And eventually I have a, a net line going across a stable line. And then my team comes on and does an expansion and then that curve goes up again. And then they do another one and it expands to a different team and it goes up again and it never really comes down. But then, then you're looking at over time, okay, I'm watching that company. Are they, they doing education? Are they using the product? So education is another indicator. And for me, it's always like, if I see a decrease in, if I can get to that data, this kind of stuff like really ends up helping support customer success initiatives by a lot, because where I think a lot of folks want, like this is the other trap, I think 
everybody's a tra- everybody's an educator in a very early phase company. And we get caught in this trap of, you know what? I can't trust anybody else. I'm on the line here. I'm trying to close a deal. I'm trying to retain a customer. I'm going to jump on a call with a customer and do that. And that's where we come into play because the pitch, the executive on my hand is number one, we've got to centralize, but number two, we can look at the data objectively now. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you talked a lot about aligning with the leaders in a customer success function and yeah. them kind of giving you those blank looks. But this is where, again, just want to emphasize, like yeah. I've had a lot of success in partnering with my product leaders, um, leading those products. If, if your company has this data, it is the product team who is going to have this product. data already in understanding this. So they often are going to be able to answer some of those questions for you on, wait, well, how do I measure this? What are we trying to drive? Um, and they'll often give you a really good starting place for the things that are working. And I, I found, you know, when you use the data to tell you this, it is often very different from what the customer success managers are telling you the key, you know, behavior to drive. Um, so a- another sort of benefit of data there, right? Data doesn't lie. Um, Data doesn't lie. I think we've got our catchphrase for the show. Data doesn't lie. It sounds like a Bond movie. Visualizations can lie, but (laughs) the data itself doesn't. So like, yeah, make friends with your your product team. And too often, again, I just don't see this connection happening enough. Uh, Too often, customer education is spending a ton of time with just those in customer success. And their input is certainly valuable. Um, and you're going to work really closely with them, but expand that circle, bring in the product team because they're also on the hook, you know, for a lot of these same things around adoption and retention, getting people to find value in the tool. Um, and you want to make sure that they don't feel like you're competing with them also, right. That, that you're not training people because the product is bad. Um, you want to have shared goals. You want to help them see also, hey, how can education help you hit your adoption metrics, right? We're really confident that this feature is going to drive value for our users. They don't seem to be discovering it. So can we enhance discoverability through education? Um, And once you help them see you as a peer and as someone who's going to help them hit their metrics, they're going to be coming to you in the same way that your customer successes. talking about getting the data and having access to the data. Um, this is also going to build some of that goodwill so that they can help you do some of your analysis. If you don't have a tool where you can do it yourself. Yeah. I love working with product. I, sometimes I wonder if customer education should like, we always ask where, where does customer education live? I don't necessarily believe it's in product, but I believe what you're saying in it. I, I live it. If you're not talking with your product team every day or you know every week, a couple times a week, well, how are you going to know what's changing for one? But you're really kindred with them. The difference is we find ourselves often um, in. I think we find ourselves in customer success because we're really mm-hmm. truly aligned with that 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 outcome. Like we're focused on getting the desired result to the customer. You know, thinking in terms of like what Lincoln Murphy might say about customer success. You know, a customer has in mind, I want to use this product to actually achieve my goal. But we have this this uh, discussion between product and everybody in the company. Like I've found this too, that our product team think is thinking one thing and our success team is saying another thing. And sometimes we have to resonate between the two. So that's, oh my gosh, I, I'm, I'm really thankful that you said this and, hope, and, and, I, and I know our audience is listening, but if you haven't talked to your product team, you definitely should. Um, we're coming up on time. We've got about nine minutes, but um, bef- before we go, I definitely want to talk about anything else you'd like to talk about, but I'd like to think about some, some good table stakes type reports and dashboards and things that you might recommend once you get your substrate layer of data all together. What are the kind of things, Christy, you love to build so that you can help just automate that? Like, do you have a a report delivered to your VP or your SVP or somebody or your board about what your education program is doing and how do you get there? Yeah. I think it's very different what we deliver to our board versus (laughs) what I look at my top reports. Um, and, And I'll talk about both, but I think once you have access to more of this data, you can tie in your engagement data with your behavioral data Um, My favorite report is simply 
taking um, a course, you know, engagement, and then looking at the learning objectives for that, and then tying that to product behavior. So very specifically, right? What behaviors am I trying to drive with a particular course? And did I influence that in the product? And just like you said, I mean, it's magic when you can see that somebody hasn't engaged with a feature or a certain part of your product, they take the course right. um, and then are now engaging you know, with that. And that is, I think at the end of the day, really going to tell you, is your content successful at driving value? Um, it doesn't matter if you have you know, a thousand five-star reviews if none of your learners actually did anything in the products. At the end of the day, it is about changing behaviors. Um, that is the value to the business. Um, and, you know, driving value with your product, because of course, if your learners aren't finding value with your product, then um, that is not going to lead to retention and expansion and all of these business metrics. So I think that just at an individual course level to tell you, hey, is my content successful? Yeah. If you can get that data, I mean, wow, it's... Um, really, I think, helpful to see. And there's two things to keep in mind there. I think you want to look at like, yes, did they did they do this at all um, close to the course, right? Because you can influence it. And there's ways to, I think, see a spike in data. So if you add a practice activity or something like that, where it's like, hey, go and do this now, do you it, can yeah. oftentimes see, oh, hey, they did it, right? Really close to this course. But I think more important, is did they continue to do it over time, right? Did that usage continue to go up and to the right in your example before? Um, yeah. Because you, yeah, you don't want to get flawed and like, yep, they did it, um, they did it <laughs> once, right? Like, because I told them to in this exercise. But again, it's it's about changing behavior. Um, and so, see- is that like a behavioral analysis chart? Do you have do you have an example of what you would like? I don't know that you could share with in words, not in vision. How would that express? So in in most tools, um, you're going to use some type of retention analysis. Mm -hmm. So what I will do is, you know, my course is sort of the first event I'm looking at um, in that retention analysis. And then whatever the key behavior is, that's going to be my second event or my return event. And I'm just looking at interactions over time since... um, since taking sort of that course. Now, right. one of the other things you want to do is when I'm also um, comparing sort of data with trained and untrained users is you also want to make sure that you're only looking at like active users of the mm-hmm. product. Um, and I think this is really important because you start to get much closer to feeling confident that, hey, it was the training specifically that actually drove this behavior if you're looking at users who are regularly active in your product. And this is um, even easier when it's, you know, not core functionality of your product, but it's one of these like secondary or third sort of levels of value. Like that starts to become really powerful and much harder to deny that, hey, like across all of our active user base, our power users, right? The people who are discovering this content, who are using it regularly, um, a good chunk of them happen to be trained users. Inter- okay. So I want to share something here that I've looked at that may be a good idea. Maybe, maybe you can help unpack this a little bit more and, and make it clear on how to do this. But what I had done to get to that is um, at the point I'd been using Google Data Studio and Tableau and some other platforms, and we pulled data out of our data lake. Um, so what, okay, let me let me tell you an example of how I got there. So I had my LMS data. And then I got access to that in my, you know, my BI tool. And then I had my CRM data. Now I know the accounts, the people, and I I can connect that. So we call that a join, right? So now I know that Jane and Judy and Joe and John from company Jaguar Inc., whatever, had either done or not done training. One of the things, the easiest thing I, I did is say, well, I don't care about the people right now. Let's look at the account level, kind of like an educational attach rate. Uh, I may be bastardizing the term and not using a quite right, but this is what I did. I go, all right, for here are the counts that did take training. Here are the counts that take didn't take training. Here's the courses that I'm looking at. What is the um, overall adoption and retention and whatever comparatively? 
And that's easy to do because I'm not looking at like really low level details, but I can come back and say, oh my God, 50% more usage and adoption of people that are training. That's across the board. And, the, and these are real kinds of numbers. Like you, you can calculate this pretty easily. And when you take that to your leadership, they go, why are we not selling more training? Or let's just give it away for free. And my favorite exec is like, I don't care about making money on this. We just need to educate our customers. Oh, thank God. But if you didn't have that, if you, if, if you now you're supporting your line of business financially and you need to go, I need X dollars to support my team, then you start getting to that. How am I going to get the more money? So is that is that a, like um a, a an initial good example you would recommend and you have better ones? No, I I do yeah I think that's a great example, um, definitely like is one that execs uh, see the value in. Um, particularly you know again most organizations have some type of definition of an active user, mm-hmm. so they're not going to get into the nitty gritty of like the feature adoption you know levels that I was just talking about, but they definitely tend to care about, hey, what percentage of our users become active users, right? The DAO, the Mao, the WoW. Um, <laughs> like, the, DAU, yeah, like monthly yeah, active, exactly. weekly active, daily active. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, again, I think exactly to your point, if you can show, hey, um, after taking training, you know, how many of my users convert into whatever that definition is, a, a weekly active user, or a daily active user. Um, that's a really powerful one. And then I think the other kind of interesting one, it's a different split. So it's mm-hmm. not just of users who took training, but you're actually looking at the entirety of your active user um, base. And then you're splitting that group out into how many of them were trained and untrained. And so if you see oh, 70% of our entire active usage base um, was trained, like that's a pretty powerful metric, right? If you see that it's lower, I mean, this is where it gets, you know, maybe check this metric before you share it. (laughs) But, you know, if of your active usage base, only 30% are trained, you know, that is a little less powerful, right? Like users are able to find out how to use your platform, how to get value, how to use it regularly. Um, without training. Now, you know, the big thing that's important there is you still helped 30% of your users get there. So even if it's lower, mm-hmm. even if it's less, you know, than, than half of those users, um, you still like supported those users. You gave them the resources they needed to be able to join um, those active usage, you know, ranks, if you will. So those are the users who maybe didn't get it on their own that you helped there. But those two tend to just be the the most powerful ones in terms of the level that those execs care about. I mean, yeah. my team shows those metrics to our board, actually, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty imp- impressive to have an education metric in your board deck. Um, and yeah, and it's because it just it tells such a clear story about the power power and value of education. Absolutely. And those kind of things help even more. Uh, for example, I would take those kind of things and be able to slice it further. So one thing I wanted to add is, segmentation. Mm-hmm. So you may be actually looking at segmentation across, you know, small, medium, large accounts, you know, enterprise. You may be looking at industry segmentation or like how am I how is my education actually you know hitting the different cohorts of people that I might have within the the world. So like I might have education or air, you know, aerospace or whatever. And so what you're saying I think is the greatest way to start. Let's look at high level aggregate data. That if I see my program is actually helping in aggregate, I can share that with the board and they go, here's a check. Keep doing what you're doing. You're doing great. Um, and or I can give my marketing team information to say, oh, well, I have 30%. If I get to 70 over the next year, let's do a campaign to promote our university or our live training or whatever. Let's do workshops. Then so basically what you're doing is saying, what what you know what really makes me feel good about this conversation, Christy, is that we haven't gotten into saying this is hard or it's really scary. We did a little bit, but it's not. It's the hard part is saying, where's my data at? Go talk to people. What am I trying to do? Talk to product, talk to leadership, get everybody aligned. And, you know, as I, you know, I've moved into a new role at Service Rocket now, and I'm thinking a lot more about connecting to all, you know, what, what, what do I say to people that are coming in and building a program for the first time about data? This is the spirit of that. Like you're giving good practical information and it's really about 
the baseline stuff. Are people going to take, are they taking training? Are they consuming it? One thing I really love to do is like, I would offer my CSMs the ability to go and look at a dashboard or report focused on their accounts. And then they can get into, like, you could even do things like provide ways to incent your, your broad teams to point to your training. And if I could say, look, um, Julie in customer success is enterprise CSM, and she realizes that she can refer people to her training and in our, our university. And now I can tag Julie as well as doing those referrals. I can have that be part of her bonus. Um, it's data is the foundation of our education program and any customer education professional that's out there. If you're not looking at this yet, um, you know, one, one thing that I would ask you going forward is like, obviously you've shared gospel here on today's show, but is there any other place that you would recommend people just starting out or even people wanting to improve to understand how better to be a data, you know, educational data analyst, I, I could say, or you hire an ops person or, or what are your, what's your sage advice to really getting deep? Yeah. Um, it's, it's tough. I, I don't know that you know, as an industry, we do have like the, here's how you do it. Here's your Mm -hmm. resource. Um, To be frank, I I think it is, you know, my most helpful thing, like I already said, is find the teams um, at your company who have data and try to learn from them. What are they looking at? What are they um, caring about? And then how can you apply that to your program? Um, You know, there's so many ways to do this. The one thing we didn't even touch on is bringing in your business data or your revenue data right, mm. as well, which is a whole other um, piece. I mean, I, I could talk about this stuff, I think at length, but um, yeah, I, I don't want people to feel like it's hard. Um, I think it is overwhelming. It is easy to feel like, well, I don't know how to do all of this. I'm just getting started. But um, yeah, you have probably a ton of data that's useful. It's just about learning how to make insights from that. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, you'll, you'll do more over time. Absolutely. Well, um, with that, I think we're at a good place and actually it's, it's sounding like we might need to have, a, a another, uh, another session, you know, maybe sometime in 2022 and talk about the business data. Um, mm-hmm. that's huge. Like how, how, do, how do we actually connect all of this stuff? And my, my ideal is there is a process that I work through and a guidebook that I work through that tells me as a customer education person, the things that I should be doing. And here's some base reports that I should start with. But I think what we've done, like the call to action here that you just made was talk to people, talk to product, talk to your leadership, understand what your North star is, um, see what your data sources that you have are, and then start with the basics, you know, start with completion rate and retention or, um, um, yeah, completion rates and registrations. Start um, start looking at volume. Start looking at um, if there's problems that that you're seeing. Use those and go back to your product team and talk to them, or figure out what's wrong with your own material. But it's it, what you're saying out of this is data is about a conversation, and data is a continuous loop of going back and looking at how did we do. And it's the not hard parts is we do have the data. The hard parts is when you get to wanting to automate it and building the dashboards and things like that. And that's, that's where is that, um, is that one of the things that he can help us with on <laughs> yes, <out> the door? <laughs> certainly. Uh, definitely a very powerful tool. The, the last thing I, I just want to mention um, is yes, the data is important, but data is only, you know, valuable if you act on it um, and you make changes to the data. So while we talked a lot about getting the data here, I do want to go back to the beginning, you know, iterate, 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 um, use the data to make changes to your program and, you know, measure again, um, use the data. Like just having it doesn't do you a whole lot of good. I love it. That's a great way to lead out. Anything else you want to tell us about you or your company and we'll wrap up? Uh, no, but feel free to reach out to me um, on LinkedIn, Christy Holling said. I'm happy to chat with anyone and anyone about data for days on end. Uh, I've, everybody's really looking forward to this episode. So yeah, reach out to Christy. She's an authority on this and one of the best people I like to work with. So let's wrap up. Christy, again, thanks for joining us today. This is this has been wonderful. This is I've been looking forward to this for a really long time, and I appreciate getting, getting you on the show. Um, if you want to learn more, 
remember that C-Lab has a podcast website at customer.education. You can find all of our stuff there. We transcribe every episode. So there's voluminous notes now. You can have everything. You can, if you're you're hanging on every word that Christy's saying here, you got a copy of it. Um, and on, on Twitter, I'm at Dave Darrington. I'm also mainly on LinkedIn. You can see me there. Special thanks to Alan Coda for the wonderful music that we have here. And if this helped you out, remember subscribing in Apple Podcast, Overcast, Stitcher, Spotify can go on. Your podcatcher is always this podcast is out there. If it's not, we'll get it there. And please, please consider leaving us a positive review. We thrive on those. We're, we're trying to spread the word in our job here at C-Lab is to have conversations like this um, and help source expertise and get you all up to speed quick. So to our audience, thanks for joining us. Go out there, educate, experiment, and find your people. Thanks, everybody.